Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to share God's Word with you. You know, in about 45 minutes, you're going to be walking out of this building, and my prayer for you is that you would walk out changed, and that you would walk out with words of nourishment that you can feed on all week long, for the rest of your life, perhaps. And so let's bow our heads together for prayer, and let's ask God to do that for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of life, the God of mercy. Your desire for every one of us is to walk in the fullness of the joy of the life that you have for all of us. And we pray that your work would be mighty in our hearts this morning as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Today, I'm going to share four things with you. Your new family status, your new family wardrobe, your new family identity, and your new family destiny. And we find these four things in the last verses of the passage that Robert taught us. But uh, being a typical long-winded preacher, I don't want to start there. I want to start and say some other things. So we're going to start about verse 15. But let me actually begin by sharing two personal examples with you. When I was 18 years old, I moved from here in San Antonio. This is my hometown. I moved from here to Kansas City to go to Bible school to learn how to become a pastor. I had been walking with the Lord for many years, even though I was only 18, in the Word, quiet times, praying, witnessing, uh, just really seeking to, to be a devoted follower of Christ. And yet, there was something in my life that was missing. I it, it seems like I would do well for two or three weeks, and then I just would feel lousy about my faith, and I wouldn't do well. And I was up and down and up and down, and, and I, was lo- I was looking for the answer. Maybe I need to pray more. Maybe I need to read God's Word more. Maybe I need to do this more, that more. One day I was reading a book by Paul Little called Know Why You Believe. I can still see myself sitting on the steps at the Bible school, reading some page in it, and the light bulbs went on as he shared this. He said, just as you have begun the Christian life by faith, you continue by faith, not by performance. You trusted, trusted Christ as your Savior to be everything that you need in order to enter into the family of God. In the same way, you must continue by faith and trust Him to be everything that you need to continue with Him. And boy, the light bulbs came on and I relaxed because I knew that my continued walk with Christ had to do with faith just trusting Him and not striving more or or trying to be a better Christian or better this or better that, but to trust in what Christ had done for me. And it was a breakthrough moment in my life. Let's fast forward now, 40 years later. The year is 2012. I wrote a book called Dead Men Rising. This is something that I had been studying for literally decades. And talked to a lot of people about it. It's, It's a... It's a study in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And back around the year 2005, 2006, as I, I must have looked in the mirror that morning, 
And I thought, you know, Jonathan, you're not getting any younger. If you're going to do something about everything that you have learned, you better start writing it out. So I started this process, and I wrote this book, and it was eventually published called Dead Men Rising. And so when the book was published, and I had a couple of small interviews, and, and um, I thought, you know, I really need to come up with a good soundbite, something where in, in 30 seconds I can just summarize what is the main lesson that you have learned from this. And here's what I learned. I learned that because of what Christ has done, on my bad days, I am no less justified than on my good days. And on my good days, I am no more justified than on my bad days. I was really grateful for that yesterday and the day before. I was having a couple of bad days. Not feeling really good. Trying to help Kathy do a paint job. And we painted together and we're still married. In a small room. <clears throat> and, you know, I just wasn't having good days, but I kept reminding myself, Jonathan, you, you're not having the greatest day in your life. You're no less justified on this day than on the days where things are just clicking and you make all the right choices and you overcome all the temptation and, and you do it one day and two days and two weeks and three weeks and you're just sailing along and then you kind of get full of yourself and then you say, Lord... I'm starting to get proud now, and this isn't right. On my good days, I'm no more justified than on my bad days. And on my bad days, I'm no less justified than on my good days because my standing with God does not depend upon my inconsistent behavior. Now, God's will is that we behave more consistently, right? Of course. We want to be pleasing children of God. But my standing with God, your standing with God, is not based upon your inconsistent behavior. Isn't that good news? but it's based upon Jesus Christ and what he has done. I guess that's more like a three-minute soundbite so, than a 30-second soundbite. But here's the point. Forty years after that 1972 epiphany, I was learning the same lesson. We must learn the same lessons repeatedly. Why is that? Why does it take so long for us to grasp this very basic, I mean, this is Bible Doctrine 101, but why does it take us so long? I think perhaps it could be that some of us grew up in legalistic churches where it was all about doing more and it was all about performing and where the grace of God wasn't really taught clearly. And sometimes it just takes time to, to get those things, to, to wash them out of our system and to get the new way of thinking into our minds. It, it may have to do with the way we were brought up. It may not be a religious thing at all. It, it could have to do that we were brought up in, in a family where we had to perform or else. We had to do this and this and this or else. And we did not sense the love of our dad or mom. We did not sense the, the acceptance that we were family members. And, and yeah, we're going to fall short and we're forgiven and, and we're nurtured and brought up. Some of you here today may still be suffering from that. Where you were raised in that kind of environment. Or, or maybe you still have that kind of environment with, with your spouse. Or, or maybe at work where, where it's just achieve, perform, achieve, perform. <coughs> <coughs> 
excuse me, and we carry that over into our relationship with Christ. And it takes a long time for the old way of thinking to be flushed out and the new way of thinking to come into our lives. It could be our achievement-oriented lifestyle or trying to grasp the American dream. It could be many things. What's true in our time was also true in Paul's time for various reasons. And so Paul writes this letter that we know as the book of Galatians, and he gives, <coughs> he gives example after example to drive home this point. We stand before God on the basis of Christ's work and not our work for Him. And so he shares his testimony of how he came to Christ. And then after he shares his testimony, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he talks about an experience he had in Jerusalem and how he stood firm for the gospel. And then he gives another experience that happened in Antioch. And then he talks about uh, the Galatians and he says, Look, guys, I've shared my testimony with you. I want you to think for a little while about your story. Let's go back to when you got saved. How did you? What happened with you? And so he talks to them about their conversion experience. And now today, in verse 15, he's going to give two more examples because Paul knows that people need to hear it again and again and again. And guess what? In two weeks, you're going to hear it again. And in three weeks, you're going to hear it again. But we will get to Galatians chapter 5 and how it all works out in the Christian life. But let's look now at the two examples that Paul gives in this passage. The first one is human covenants. Paul says, let, let me just give you a human example. When you sign a contract, that contract is irrevocable. Or if you try to revoke it, you're going to be in big trouble. When you buy that car, and when you have buyer's remorse, too bad. Oh, the, the dealer, he'll buy it back from you, but at about five or $10,000 less than what he sold it to you for. The contract is irrevocable. When you get married, when you sign on the dotted line, no buyer's remorse. Okay? You are married. The contract is irrevocable. And so, Paul is saying, just think about this human example here. It works out this way, and we accept it this way with one another. Do you think that God is going to go back on the contract, on the covenant that he made with us? And so what he does then, in verses 15 through about 23 or 24, he talks about this example from the life of Abraham. And he says, God entered a covenant relationship with Abraham. And God gave promises to this man. Do you think that God is going to go back on his promises? That's not the way our God is. God is faithful to his promises. Now, he gave the promises to Abraham and then to his son Isaac and then to Isaac's son Jacob and the promises continued on. Now, the Jewish people and those who had been hanging around Jewish people at that time, they start scratching their heads and they say, okay, I get your point, Paul, about that God had a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs, and God keeps his promises. Well, why did he give the law 
430 years, and, and that would be about 430 years after Jacob lived. Why did he give the law? And Paul goes on in this passage to explain he gave the law for two reasons. Number one, he gave the law to build a fence around his people, so to speak, to protect them from the perversions and from the corruption that was out there in the Gentile world. He was there to protect them. And the second reason he gave the law to them was to show them what failures they were so that they would be ready for the grace of the Messiah when the Messiah came. So you can read about that. We're not going to go into detail on that this morning, but you can read about that in verses 15 and following. But the main point is this. God gave a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he gave it 430 years before the law. The law did not abrogate the covenant. And so our relationship with God is based upon the covenant and the promises and the grace of Christ. That's the point he wants to make here. Then he gives a second illustration. He talks in verse 23 or 24 and following, he talks about guardians or tutors. And he talks about the law. And he says, here's what the law did. The law was good. It protected God's people. But the law was like a tutor. Like, like um, it's almost as if you're homeschooled. And rather than be with a whole bunch of other people, you, you're homeschooled and you have a private instructor who's going to teach you everything you need to know to be successful in life. So that one day, when you come of age, you will be ready for life. That's the function of the law. A tutor. A guardian. And so, Paul speaks about that in these verses here. But then he says, Now that we have come of age, we're no longer under the guardian. We're no longer under the tutor. And so, how old? When you're 18 or when you're 21 and when you come of age in, in your family? You can look back on your tutor and you can be grateful for that man or for that woman. You can look back on that experience and you can say, you know, I learned so much and I'm so grateful. But now I'm an adult. Then I was a child and it was a wonderful time. But now I'm a full member of this family. And so Paul is saying to these Galatians here, that's the way the law was. So why are you trying to go back under your tutor? I mean, who wants to go back to school? Who wants to do something like that? Who wants to go back to school? Well, congratulations. <laughs> I like school too, anyway. And then this brings us to the last part of the passage, and this is the real heart of what I want to share with you today. It's four things that God gives us, four ways to look upon ourselves that are life-changing for each one of us. And so, beginning in verse 26, Paul says this, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And what this means is that we have a new family status. We have a, verse 26, I think you got a little bit too far there on that. Uh, see if you can back it up a little bit. Nope, I guess some of them didn't make it. Okay. Well, that's a preview of point number four, but that's okay. Just put in the word, 
family status, okay? And look at verse 26 in your text. It's page 973 in your, in your Bibles there, in your pew Bibles. And Paul said, let me read it to you again. He said, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And his point is this. You are no longer little children in God's family. But you are now grown-up children in God's family. With the implication of this. If we are grown-up children in God's family, then we need to act like it. If we have a status of being grown-up children in God's family, are we learning everything that that means to be a grown-up member of God's family? My oldest son is going to turn 42 this year. I know that's shocking to you. I know you're out there thinking, Jonathan, you don't look a day over 42, right? I know you're not thinking that. (laughs) But it is kind of strange for me to think that uh, I have a 42-year-old son. I tell you what would really be strange. It would be strange if he came to me and he said, you know, Dad, I've been struggling in some areas of my life. And uh, I I just really think that I want you to start spanking me again. (laughs) For when I really screw up bad. And... And in addition to that, could you reinstate my allowance? <laughs> you remember that dollar a week you used to give me for doing a few chores around the house? Except I want it to be a little bit higher. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, of course, that's a ridiculous example. Wouldn't we think that's strange? That's exactly what the Galatians were doing. Because they were trying to go back to their infancy in their relationship with God rather than entering into adulthood and learning all that it meant to walk with God as an adult with Him. And that's what God is calling us to, to be His his adults. Here's the second thing that we need to walk away with today. First is our new family status. Our second one is that we have a new family wardrobe. This is verse 27. It says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ... You have put on Christ. And Paul is using the imagery of clothing here. You have put on Christ like a garment. You have a new family wardrobe. You need to dress according to who you are. And so in the preaching cohort this past week, I, I wanted to ask, I asked a question just to make sure I wasn't the only strange person in the room. So I, uh, I said, guys, I, I, I want, before I ask the question of the congregation, I'm, well, I want to ask you first, but do any of you ever dream that you're in a public place and you're not properly clothed? <laughs> or you're unclothed? And almost every hand went up. <clears throat> well, I see some of you nodding your head, yes. Do any of you have that dream? We're... Michael asked me if you would raise your hands and then I was going to take a picture of you, but, <laughs> but I, I, I don't have my phone, so I can't do that. Any of you, I'm sure some of you had that dream, and how do you feel 
When you have a dream like that, where you're not properly clothed, you're in a public place, it's so uncomfortable. You, you just want to run away. And usually with that, with that dream, also, you're running like this. And you can't get away fast enough. Isn't that awful? And you feel, we feel ashamed. We feel exposed. And what does that say about the depths of our heart? I, I think it says something about there's some a deep inner shame that we perhaps have not yet fully allowed to come up and let Christ heal. When we talked about it at the cohort this past week, Matt said, you know, brothers, I think, I think every one of us in some profound spiritual way are connected with Adam and Eve when they realized they were naked before God and they tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves and it didn't work. They were exposed. They were ashamed before a holy God for what they had done. And that sense of shame continues generation after generation after generation. And it reaches all the way to us. Not just through genetics or DNA or however that works, how it's, however it's passed on to us from generations past, but in our own life experience, we have experienced or do experience shameful things in our lives that are just so uncomfortable and we don't want to talk about them and we don't want other people to know about them because of the way they make us feel. And because we think also that it will disqualify us from being with others. And Paul tells us, I've got some really good news for you. If you've been baptized into Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. There's no need for shame. Your nakedness has been clothed. You're not just partly clothed, you are fully clothed. And you're not just fully clothed, you are fully and properly clothed. Back in 2003, at the last church that I pastored, I, um, it was during the first few months of my pastoring there, and <clears throat> I was asked to give the opening prayer at an evening event. Uh, I think it was a high school graduation. Uh, nothing, it wasn't like a wedding or funeral, where of course you dress up really nicely, but just a, a nice little informal gathering in the fellowship hall of the church. And, and uh, so... I say, oh, yeah, sure, I'd love to come and, and say the opening prayer. So it was summertime, and um, my daughter and I were together, and so we took off to church, and I was wearing sandals and shorts and a T-shirt. And I walked into the church, and I went first to my office, and then as I walked toward the gathering hall, thankfully, praise God, there were these, the doors had these glasses in them, and I could look through the glass, and I could see the people getting ready. They were all dressed up so nice. 
And I looked down at myself in my sandals and in my shorts and in my T-shirt, and I nearly melted. I felt about that tall, like I have totally misunderstood the magnitude of this meeting for these people. And I turned to my daughter. I said, Jenny, go tell them that I'll be there in just a minute. And I got in the car. Thankfully, I only lived about 10 minutes away. I drove home and changed my clothes. I walked back in, walked in. Good evening, everyone. It's so good to be with you all. You know, <laughs> something like that, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I said the opening prayer, properly dressed. And then I went home and I changed back into my shorts and sandals. But I think that little story can give you the idea of what it is. I was fully clothed, but I was not properly clothed. See, we, we dress properly for certain occasions, weddings, funerals, or, or all kinds of other occasions. We know that we need to dress properly for them. And to stand before God, we need proper clothing. And the only proper clothing that any of you can ever hope to have is what Jesus Christ gives to you freely. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He comes home in rags. He wants to hire himself out to be a worker. The father will not allow him to be a worker. And do you remember the first thing that the father says to the servants? Go and get my best robe and put it on him. Well, who in that family would have the best robe? It would be the father. Go and get my robe and put it on him. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for all of us who are in Christ, who have trusted him as our Savior. He has taken his best robe, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he has clothed us with that best robe. And so Paul says here in Galatians, look, when you got baptized, you put on Christ. And so we not only have a new family status in verse 26, but in verse 27, we have a new family wardrobe. And then in verse 28, he says, we have a new family identity. Let's look at verse 28 together. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is not obliterating differences. Paul understands the differences between male and female and Jew and Greek and black and white and ethnic identity. But what he is doing here is he is saying with all of this amazing and beautiful diversity that is in the world, we have to realize that there has to be a unifying factor. If there is no unifying factor to the diversity, then it will just fracture and be segmented forever and ever. He says Christ is our unifying factor. We are all one in Christ. And so, if you are female, you stand before God just as righteous as every man. If you are a Gentile barbarian, you stand before God in the righteousness of Christ just as much as any devout Jewish person, he says here in this passage. In the ancient world, Jewish men would pray this every day. I thank you, God, that you did not create me to be a Gentile, that you did not create me to be a woman, and that you did not create me to be a slave. Amen. Is that in the uh, Book of Common Prayer? That's not in the Book of Common I know it's not in the Book of Common Prayer. <laughs> of course not. <clears throat> the Gentiles had the same, a very similar thing. Every day, the Gentiles would pray to their gods, and they say, the, the Greeks would, and they would say, I thank you, O Zeus, their false god. I thank you that you did not create me to be a beast, 
I thank you that you did not create me to be a woman, and I thank you that you did not create me to be a barbarian. That is, the, the, the tribes that lived on the outskirts of the Greco-Roman world. And so they were making these divisions. And they were saying, the, the Greeks were saying, because I am a Greek, I am better than you are. And Paul is saying, that's wrong. It's all come to an end. God gave the Jewish people a certain status, but it was always a means to the end for God to give grace to everyone. And that is how all of us stand before God. And that's what he talks about here in verse 28. We have a new family identity. And then last, in verse 29, we have a new family heritage and a new family destiny. Paul says, if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You have a heritage and you have a destiny. Abraham was, is arguably the greatest man of antiquity. Some might want to argue Moses, some might want to argue King David. But arguably, Abraham was the greatest of all people in Old Testament times because by the time he was living, the whole world had gone into bankruptcy. The whole world had become immoral. The whole world was worshiping false gods. And God chose that man, and Abraham responded in faith, and God said, Abraham, I'm going to enter a covenant with you. And through this covenant, I'm going to use you and your descendants to turn this whole mess around. I'm going to use you to bless the whole world. And Abraham obeyed. He trusted God. You see, who you are a child of is important. That says a lot about who you are. That says a lot about your status. You can walk out of here saying today, I am a child of the most important man in all of ancient history. Because I am a son. I am a daughter of Abraham. You think about that all week long. And you let that nourish your soul. You're Abraham's offspring. But he doesn't end it there. He says you are heirs according to promise and there's that word again promise it's all based upon God's promises and God's faithfulness to fulfill the promises in our lives by grace through faith you have a destiny he says God promised Abraham that the whole world was going to turn around. That this world, rather than being a place of idolatry, would be a place of worship. That this world, rather than being a place of injustice and corruption, would be a place where the righteousness of God reigns from sea to sea. From the four corners of the earth to the four corners of the earth. That's God's promise that He is going to do it. That is our destiny. And so Paul is saying here, I want you to think not just about your past, but I want you to think about your future. If you are Abraham's child, God is wanting to fold you into his plan to do something about this mess that we live in. You are an heir. You have an inheritance to walk into through prayer, through faith, through witnessing, through serving Christ, and one day to rule, to reign with Christ. And that brings us in the passage full circle back to how he began this section here. He says, let me give you a human illustration. Let's talk about covenants. 
And he says, when God started this whole thing, this whole rescue operation, he started it with a covenant, with a promise to Abraham. And now the promise is fulfilled in Jesus and can go to all the nations of the world and we get to be part of this great plan that he's working out in the world. So there you have it. Those are your four things that I hope will stick deep into your heart. You have a new family status. You're not just a child. You're an adult member of God's family. You have a new family wardrobe. You have a new family identity. You are in Christ. And you have a new family destiny. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the amazing work that Christ did when you sent him when he lived that perfect life, when he died on the cross to take away our shame, our guilt. And so today, as we come to the table, we pray that we would come with a new appreciation for all that you have done through him for us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to teach us every day these new things of who we are in Christ and that we would live into them. And we ask it all for your glory and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.